Well, this morning, we're going to continue in God's Word, and I just want to take a moment. I had an official review from the board this week, and uh, appreciate our board and just for the uh, love that they have for me and for this church. And uh, one of the things that <laughs> encouraged me was when we get to Scripture, and I'll kind of sometimes I blow through Scripture really fast, and it's hard to get there to find it. And so we're going to slow down a little bit. Um, but I also want you to know there are times uh, we'll put a verse up, and I'll make reference, and you can write that down and look it up later as well. And so there's so we're going to kind of work with this a little bit. But we are honoring God's word. And how many are thankful for that? That we believe in God's word, that it changes us, it transforms us. And so we're highlighting scripture week in and week out. And we've kind of slowed down to discuss the greatest thing, uh, which we're calling love. And that's what Paul calls the greatest thing. And what's interesting about love, and I want you to turn with me here to John chapter 13, and I do realize that uh, I, I get the benefit. I can mark my Bible before I know where I'm going. And so, but it will give you a second here to, to find that. John chapter 13, when we're talking about love, Paul says um, at uh, verse 13 of uh, chapter 13, where, which was the context of where we're studying, he says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And we say, okay, where else does, uh, do we see that in Scripture? Here's one of those spots, John 13 Verse 34 and 35 says this, Now a new command I give you, Jesus talking, he says, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then verse 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is supreme. Love should trickle out, should make a difference in our lives. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And you may want to mark that, uh, keep your finger there. We'll be there a little later as well. But in verse 8, it's very interesting how God helps us to understand His love. I'll actually start in verse 7 while you're getting there. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, verse 8 is what I want us to see here. It says, whoever does not love, all right? So if you found yourself in a place where you're not loving or you know someone that's not loving, whoever does not love does not know God. So you could also say, if you know God, if you have Jesus in your heart, our responsibility is to love right so whoever does not love or does not know god why because god is love everyone say that god is love and of course in first corinthians 13 13 it's the greatest of these is love and so we believe i believe it deep down inside that it's critical for us to understand what love is uh, the practicality the application are highly important because it shows Christ. It shows that we know God. In fact, we've been encouraging you to kind of use the, the 15 descriptions of love as a checklist. And if you look at that list and there's little or no evidence of love in your life, you need to question your heart, saying, okay, God, how am I doing in this area? Now, our text for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 
13, verse 4 through 8a. This is the part four. We're actually going to have five parts in these four verses. But it starts off, love is patient. That love is long-suffering. That when you're wronged and wronged and wronged again, you never even think about retaliating. You're patient. Love is kind. It's not, it does useful things. We learn that. Love does not envy. It's, it doesn't want what others have or wish that they didn't have what they had. Love does not boast. It, it, in fact, if you're going to boast in anything, you want to boast in the Lord. If you want anything, you should want more of God. Love is not proud. It's not selfish or rude. It's not easily angered. And uh, we learned last week, which was really insightful to me, that anger, um, the root of anger is selfishness. And then love does not keep a record of wrongs. That's an accounting term there. That when you love, you let it go. You don't keep rehashing things over and over and over again. And this morning we come to the 10th description and we see it. Love does not delight in evil. Now, after reprimanding the Corinthians in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 5, for sexual immorality, and for those, or for the, the strife in the pagan courts in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, at this point here, Paul is saying that love does not delight in evil. And I want you want to kind of bring some, some clarity to this. Uh, Gordon Fee, a commentator that I, I've been enjoying, he said this, that love takes no pleasure at war or the suppression of the marginalized. Thistleton said this, another commentator I've been using, said that love takes no pleasure at the fall or the failure of another or the need to lecture someone for wrongdoing. Very interesting. The idea here, when we say love does not delight in evil, is, the, is that there's no self-congratulation, no arrogance, no tolerance concerning evil deeds. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin or unrighteousness. Love never rejoices in sin. And this is huge. You say, well, why or how would we rejoice in sin? Well, there's several ways. And as I began to study this and began to meditate, there are things that come up. How about this? That we sometimes can rejoice in our sin from the past. We remember before we were, uh, before we were Christ followers and we talk about it or we, we almost uh, glorify the sin of our past how bad our sins were. And it's almost bragging, or we go on these long rampages of, oh, if you knew me then, that is glorifying sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, you can turn with me there. Paul uses himself as an example. It's very interesting that when you study Paul in, the, in his life, he never brags about sin or about his past. Because what's interesting, you, we know Paul's past from Acts and different, as we study Acts, but what's interesting is Paul, he never reminds us of where he came from. Look at it, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that f- deserves full acceptance. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
Okay, so already he's focusing on the salvation of sinners, and then he just says this. He says, of whom I am the worst. That's the extent of what he talks about. Now, he could have went on and said how he persecuted, how he you know, would stone and kill and, uh, and uh, just bring all this trouble against sinner or against uh, Christians. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul, he says, look, I'm of the worst, inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul never recounts what he did. Instead, he says, look, Christ died for me, period. He focuses on grace. You say, well, how else can we rejoice in our sin? Well, you can do that when you, when you wish someone would sin or that you wish that someone would fall into sin. How many have ever you know, known someone, and uh, don't point if you, they're sitting by you, where they you know, kind of always are figuring out, oh, I was always wondering about that when the fraud comes out, or you know, someone gets caught stealing, and uh, oh, I always thought that you know, they had sticky fingers, or, or an affair comes out and say, oh, I could sniff that out, right? There's a smugness. It's rejoicing in evil in that someone else in someone else's life. We see this often in the political realms when, when a politician falls or we wish they would fall. There, you know, things like that. You think back to the Clinton era and just how, how uh, horrible that was. Or sometimes we look to pastors and, the, and people are sniffing out you know, those that are, that are in the pulpit and, and saying, oh, I always wondered about so-and-so, right? Or you know, when an affair comes or, or uh, an embezzling, oh, you know, all pastors are the same, right? Or whatever the case might be. Or how about this? In marriages, you would hope that this wouldn't happen, but there are times that people would hope for an affair or an adultery. Or it's so, uh, they would give them an excuse to get out. Again, it's rejoicing in sin. Another way you can rejoice in sin is when you think that you're getting away with sin. You continue to sin after you're a Christ follower. Yes, you have Christ inside of you. Yes, but you're living far below the standard of God's word. Do you realize that when you do that, you are rejoicing in your sin? You say, well, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been sinning in this particular way, or this way or that way, and it hasn't affected me yet. Well, this week I had the chance to tell a story, and I won't take the whole time to tell the whole story, but I was at Calvary, um, the, the Christian school doing chapel there, and I shared a story where I was freediving earlier this summer, and at 90 feet below the water, Something happens inside of your body that's very interesting. And I shared this at the men's retreat as well. But there, your pr- the pressure on your body is three times as it, as it is on uh, level ground here. And what happens is your body releases nitrogen. And what happens is you feel okay. In fact, you feel good at 90 feet under the water. It's a pretty amazing feeling. I've been there. And you feel safe. But what's interesting is how many would recognize that at 90 feet below the water, that's a scary and dangerous place to be, right? And what happens is often we are caught up in our sin. We're caught up, and maybe we're even bragging about it. And we're saying, hey, I'm okay. That is rejoicing in evil. 
Some people brag about their drunkenness or their sexual conquest. Listen, church, you cannot rejoice over evil if you are love, if you're going to love. You cannot wish someone would sin or be glad when they do so it makes you look better and puffs up your ego. Church, you cannot rejoice over evil if you are loving. You cannot rejoice. You say, well, why is that? Well, there's two reasons primarily. First of all is that love knows that sin offends God. And when you love someone, you do not want to offend them. How many would agree? How many of you are married here? Just give me, give me, show me those that are married. If you're married, you do not want to intentionally offend your mate. Am I right? Now, sometimes we do because we're selfish and we're not loving, but ultimately, we want to love our mates. My wife is here today, and I try to love her, try not to offend her, and the same is true with God. We should hate the things that he hates. Am I right? And so we need to know that love knows that sin offends God. That's number one. Number two is that love knows that sin hurts other people. Sin causes damage. I don't care what you say. You may think you're getting away with it. You may think you're safe. But I'll tell you, when you're caught up in your sin, you're rejoicing over evil, it's like you're 90 feet below the water in a dangerous, dangerous spot, even if no one knows. There's blow-by. And when an adultery hits a family, how many know that it hurts the kids? It hurts the entire family. When someone is caught stealing, it hurts a reputation of more than just that individual, but the entire family, and sometimes even the entire organization. Listen, when there's sin, other people will get hurt. Let's take one example that is very common. Gossip. How many of you know gossip is a sin, right? It's parading everyone else's evil, right? But what love does, love does not pass it on. If you hear it, you keep your mouth shut. It does not rejoice in evil. You say, well, what if it's true? Can't I share it then? No. <laughs> you don't talk about it if it's evil. Love is not happy to pass along evil. Now, unless it's a sin matter of purity, maybe within the church, unless it's a discipline area within the church, love says nothing. Love does not pass on the dirt. Love does not injure the sinner. Does that make sense? Love does not rejoice in evil. Here's one more area that's very common. When you look at our society, how many would agree that evil is everywhere, right? I mean, everywhere you turn, there's something evil, something sinful. But we can delight in it, and many times we do. We delight in entertaining, in, in, in entertainment, in movies. We'll watch a show or watch our favorite um, TV program or our favorite movie, or we'll go to the theater, and there's, uh, there's homosexuality depicted, there's drunkenness, there's sexual things, and we're laughing, we're enjoying church what happens in those moments, the reality is that we are delighting, rejoicing, and participating in evil. So I just want to say, be careful. 
Don't watch it. Turn it off. Walk out of the theater. Or better yet, use the plugged in uh, online and find out what's being shown. Don't delight. Don't rejoice in sin. Don't rejoice in evil. And can I just say one thing? Parents, we've got to teach this. We cannot afford to tolerate sin. Parents, we've got a huge responsibility. And if you say, well, I'm not a parent, well, you've got a responsibility too to model, and we'll talk about that um, more at the end. But the question is, well, what does love rejoice in, right? That's a good question, I think, and that w- it's answered right after that. So love does not delight or does not rejoice in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It celebrates the truth. Number 11 out of these descriptions, the truth of God in the Gospels. It celebrates integrity. It celebrates the truth, the factual reality in a given situation. Love rejoices in what is good. Truth taught and lived out. Truth, things that are right, things that are righteous. And the point is, is that love cannot rejoice in error. Let me try to explain. Sometimes we have family members, or sometimes we have co-workers, or relatives, or maybe someone even in our own household, that they're listening to false teachers, or they've got bad doctrine. And you say, well, we just love each other. We just accept each other. Listen, love does not rejoice in falsehood or in error. You say, well, I can love them, right? Yes, you may love someone, but if they're teaching error, something against the Bible, you must say, I will not rejoice or participate in this. You say, well, I can love, right? Yes, but when they are living in error, when someone is blatantly not following God's word, you cannot rejoice. Love does not compromise. God is love, right? And so love does not compromise. Turn with me to a couple verses here. 2 John, verse 6, and then we're going to turn to Psalm 1. A couple verses here that that just kind of speak to this truth that we've got to hide in our hearts. Look what it says. 2 John, verse 6. It says, and this is love. We're going to get another description, another example And this is love, verse 6, that we walk in obedience to His commands. What commands? It's walking in obedience to God's Word. Look at that, 2 John, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His command, and you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Now turn with me to Psalm 1. My grandma, when I was growing up, all the grandkids, if we memorized Psalm 1, she'd give us five bucks. And, uh, and I think if you memorized it and called my grandma up, she'd probably send you five bucks as well. Um, <laughs> I think she would. And, but listen to what it says. This is incredible. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, But verse 2 is kind of the key here. But his delight, the things he rejoices in, is in the law of the Lord. He rejoices in truth, right? 
And on his law, he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. But then here's the flip side. Look what it says. Not so with the wicked. He says, not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Look at that. We are to focus on God's word as a standard for our lives. You put that back into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it could say that love delights or rejoices in the word of God. Rejoices in the truth. Sharing good things. Sharing the truth. Those things that are pure and holy and godly. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And I know I'm sending you all over, but stay with me if you can. What are we to talk about? What, if we're to rejoice in the truth, what does that entail? Look what Philippians 4, 8 says. This is something that we learned uh, in our home. Uh, when we had kids, we had it on a scripture memory uh, CD, and we'd listen to it over and over and over. But look what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you're wondering what kind of things can we rejoice in, this is the list. Not evil, but we rejoice in the truth. Now, if it's true, you say, you know, can I share it? No. That's not the way. See, the takeaway for me is I want to be a person that brings positive things to others, not negative. I want to rejoice in the truth. Don't you like being around someone who is positive? Yeah? And speaks the truth and looks for the truth in situations? A person that is full of grace? They don't parade evil, but they find the good? Don't you want to be that kind of person? I know I do. And again, can I talk to the parents that are here? Parents, this week in particular, for some reason, just kept on coming back to parenting. Listen, we've got to teach our kids this, to celebrate the triumphs of ordinary people, to encourage good behavior. And my prayer is that love will work itself out in our lives and in our families and with our kids, bearing much fruit in my life, and in others. And how we say amen to that. That love, the truth, would be supreme in our lives. And then we get to verse 7. Kind of the crescendo of this whole mess that we've been studying, okay? And it says this, number 12. Love always protects. Love always protects. In fact, the next several, the next four, it says always, 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 always. And what's interesting is I studied that. That can be easily misunderstood. That, those word, that word always there is actually hyperbole. It's actually an exaggeration. It does not always m- mean always in the universal sense that every single time or in the total or even the general. And let me give you an example. That love has to discriminate at times. In fact, the Bible tells us to do that. We are told to test the spirits and see if they're of God. 
Uh, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that to the church, and you can read that at a later time. When they're assembled, when, the, when you gather together the body of Christ, you're not to judge outsiders, but for those that are inside the body, we are to judge. We're both we're supposed to test. Therefore, there are times where love does not protect or trust or so on and so forth. But what does it mean that love always protects? That word protects there is very interesting. It means to cover with silence, to suppress not meaning that love puts up with anything or that love can shove around or gets shoved around when there's sin involved no it's not just you take it you suppress it you silent you know you're always quiet no but the idea here in the greek is very interesting is that there's that genuine love agape love is reluctant to drag out a scandal out of respect for others, out of concern for others, love will do whatever it can to protect or to cover sin, the shortcomings of others, the downfalls of others. Again, true love will avoid scandalous talk. Love wants to contain the problem instead of exposing it. It's not that you show up to the prayer meeting and be like, hey, we've got something to pray about, no, right? When something comes out, no, you keep it to yourself. You pray in your own, in your own way. Or you don't call up the pastor and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so, what they're dealing with, or what they did, or what they're going to do? No. How many have heard of the Matthew 18 principle? All right, well, let's turn there then. All right, no one, no one raised their hands. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it. Matthew 18 talks about how you deal with uh, sin within relationships. And this is very interesting. When we talk about love always protects, that there's a protection here, but there is some biblical mandate of how we're to deal with sin between two brothers or two sisters. Look what it says in verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, which by the way, is going to happen, right? <laughs> right? He says, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Don't call up the prayer chain. Don't call up the pastor. Go to the, your friend. Go to your brother. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. And then it says, well, what if he doesn't listen? Well, he answers that. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You get that? You take a friend. You take two people with you to establish witness. And if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. That's when you call up the pastor and say, hey, there's an issue. We've, I, I went to him. I, it, it, things didn't change. We brought a couple people. It still didn't change. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. See, the idea here is that on the first offense, we protect. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13 here that love covers the ugliness of our lives. And we all have a measure of ugly, if we're honest. Now, human nature says, well, we want to tell. We want to share, right? We want to find the skeleton, right? Or we want to compare. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, 
right? That happens early on when we raise kids. You don't have to teach your child to tattletale. If there's an injustice, they're running to mom and dad saying, hey, did you know, did you know? And you say, hey, you're tattletaling. We don't do that here. And then you go secretly behind and find out what's going on, right? But we teach our kids. But what the important thing is, is that we grow out of that, but there are a lot of adults that never grow out of this. They're always sharing the dirt. They're always opening up, saying things that are inappropriate. And there are couples that are married, and they talk about the sin of their spouse. Oh, he's so lazy. Or, boy, she's always gambling. Or, boy, he was drunk again last week. Or, boy, the... Boy, she always says spending, 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 or this addiction, or that, his or her, never, no, he's never this, or he's never that, or she's never this, or ne- she's never that. And what happens is we talk about it with our friends, or with our parents, or with our coworkers, and we're not protecting the evil, the sin. Listen, love throws a blanket over the sin, okay? Over someone else's faults. Love says, I am going to overlook, especially in a public setting. We do this with our kids. If your kid's mouthing off or if your kid's acting up, you don't, like, just let them have it in front of everybody. What do you do? You pull them aside and say, hey, this is, this is the deal. I see this in you. You need to be careful. And you, re, you, you celebrate in public. You correct in private. That's what love is all about. Look what, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. A couple things I want to show you here. Proverbs 10 and then also Proverbs 17 in just a second. A couple verses here that really speak to what love really does when it's covering sin. Look at, look at what verse, verse 12, Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up dissension. All right, when there's hate, it's, it's causing trouble. But then it says, but love covers over all wrongs. You say, really? Well, let's look at it in, uh, in chapter 17. 17, verse 9. It says, he who covers over an offense, something that was sinful or something that was embarrassing. What is, it, look what it says. He who covers it over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Turn with me to one more verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, or maybe you'll just turn there later. Look what it says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. This is <laughs> Peter talking. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, above all, love each other deeply. All right? That's our goal. That's what, what Peter is saying we need to do. That's what the Bible encourages us to do. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sin. I didn't see this until this week. This really hit me by surprise. If, you, if it's an ongoing problem, can't you just overlook it? Or, or if it's not an ongoing problem, can't you just overlook it? Yes. There's a situation. Our family, we were, uh, I can't 
we were uh, in our car and we pulled up and we were making a switch with kids and uh, we, we saw someone that, that, was in, that was partaking in some um, uh, questionable um, activity. I'll just say it that way, all right? They, they were scratching off a lotto ticket, okay? And they didn't see us, but we saw them. And in our family, we're like, what do we do with this? Right? It's embarrassing. I mean, they, 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 if this person would have known that we would have seen this, it would have, it would have really uh, been embarrassing. What do you do in that circumstance? You throw a blanket on it. You keep your mouth shut. And now you're saying, well, you're talking about it publicly, right? Well, I'm not saying who it was, and it's no one here. I promise you that. <laughs> but that's, the, what, uh, that's what love does. You teach your kids that, right? An example, probably the best example I could think of, is that, uh, that my parents, when we were growing up, my mom it did this very well in our family. There was one time I heard my dad use a swear word. One time, my entire life, only once, okay? I mean, so I mean, that's the kind of family I grew up in. They, he probably swore behind our back. I don't know, but, but no, I'm sure he didn't. But we were go-karting, okay, in, uh, in Sarnia, just over the Blue Water Bridge, and we were having a good time. And, uh, and we, you know, I'm kind of crazy, kind of wild in some ways, and, you know, and I was, I was young, but I was enjoying the go-karts more than I probably should have. Bumping driving on the grass, hitting tires, spinning out, and uh, I got kicked out of the go-kart place. It wasn't one of my finer moments. But my dad, uh, what was very interesting, is the guy that was working there, he's like, just wouldn't let it go. He's like, what's wrong with your son? Can't he read? You know, he, is he at, you know, how could you, what kind, how are you raising your kid? And my dad stood up for me at that moment. He cursed and was defending me. It's the only time I ever heard it. Now, it was a quiet ride home. I can guarantee you that. From Sarnia to Troy, Michigan, it was about two hours. I don't think anyone said anything. But what's interesting is I have never heard my mom bring that situation up. Not once. She never has rubbed it in his face or said, remember the time, not at least publicly, maybe behind the scenes, I don't know. But love covers a multitude of sin. It protects. I appreciate it when my sin is not held against me. I don't know about you. There have been times in my life that I've been exposed, that I've been caught. And I, I remember one time, my pastor, I went and shared some things that I was struggling with. And I thought for sure I was going to lose my job. And my pastor didn't throw me under the bus. He covered it. He, and he said, hey, let's, let's pray about this. Let's walk through this. And I'll tell you, I believe that that is the incredible, there's, there's just an incredible picture of love in those moments. You say, really? Are we supposed to cover our sin, cover the sins of others, to protect others? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It talks about God covering our sin. That if we confess, that's what God does in our lives. Look at it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10.
Okay, it's in that same passage where we said that God is love. Verse, let's look at 9, 9 and 10. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. In other words, Jesus Christ, he covered our sin. He took our sin. He took it, our sin, and he does that for each and every one of us. Again, we're not talking about habitual sin or immorality that just continues on and on. We have to deal with that, church. We understand that. But when it comes to minor offenses, when it comes to, uh, to small things or shortcomings, love protects. Love overlooks those shortcomings. Love says there is a place for grace to overlook some things. Love does not call up 10 people and say, hey, you've got to hear this. Right? Love is pretty incredible. Love will warn. Yes, love will rebuke. Love will discipline. But for as long as it can, it will cover sin. Amen? I'm thankful for that. And today, as we wrap up these things, we looked at love does not rejoice in evil. It love does delights in the good or the truth. And love covers sin. Love protects. How many would say this with me? That biblical love is amazing. It's amazing. This is not for half-hearted Christians. This is for those that are fully committed. This, these descriptions are not for the weak. I'm challenged by these. And I'm committed to learn more about love. Because the truth of the matter is unless we learn to live this way, nothing else matters. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13 if you're still there or you've got it marked because we've been there for a few weeks. Look what it says before the descriptions of love. I want to remind you, it says, If we speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have the faith that can move mountains, pretty incredible things, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing nothing church there's nothing more important than our love our understanding you can have the spiritual gifts you can have miracles you can you can give of yourself but if you don't have love the bible describes your reality as zero galatians 5 6 that says says the only thing that matters and we've looked at this over the last few weeks is faith expressing itself in love and so this morning, my heart is, what do we do with this? What do we do with the truth of God's word, these descriptions? That we need to evaluate. It's a checklist. Is there evidence in your life of genuine love? Or are you failing in areas? If you were put on trial and the, the idea was to convict you that you were loving in a godly, in a biblical way, would you be guilty? 
See, there's two edges to this love idea. Yes, there's one is that, yes, we need to model love, right? As parents, uh, at work, with our coworkers, with family, with our kids, with the extended family, with our, uh, you know, anywhere we go, we need to model love. But on the other side is we also need to experience love. We need to accept love, the salvation that God offers, forgiveness of sin. Because God is love, we can experience love, and then we, the other side is we model love. So can we overlook some of those offenses, some of those things? You know, we're headed into the holidays when we're with family, extended family, and how many know that there are things that maybe drive us crazy about our in-laws or about our, you know, uh, aunts or uncles or our brother-in-laws or sister-in-laws or whatever, right? Can we overlook that? Overlook those things? Maybe overlook some offenses? Put it to rest? To let it go like we said last week? My prayer is that each of us in this season would learn to love deeply. To love in an agape love deeply. To show Christ and it shows that you know God and that you're growing in Him. Say, man, I want to grow in the Lord. Well, listen, if you're going to grow in the Lord and there, your relationship with God is going to go deeper, there must be a genuine love that resonates and it will make all the difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this morning, for the power of Your Word. Lord, for the, just how practical it is, and Lord, help us to apply these truths to our lives. And God, I know that when it comes to the biblical model of love, agape love, we cannot achieve this on our own. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need your power to reveal yourself in salvation and then to be able to model your love. God, I pray that you would help us in these next few moments in Jesus' name. Now with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed this morning. If you're here this morning, and I don't know everyone here, so um, you know, I don't, and I wouldn't be the judge anyway, um, but you're acknowledging this morning that you need God's love to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe there's something that's happened uh, that you need forgiveness for. If you're here this morning and you need forgiveness, would you, <coughs> would you be so bold just to raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you're here this morning saying, yeah, I need forgiveness today, just raise your hand. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, a few hands going up. Who else? Seriously. Saying, that's, that's where I am today. <coughs> there's some sin in my life. I've, uh, there's some areas that I... That Boy, if I were exposed, it would be embarrassing. Uh, whatever the case might be, who this morning, just lift your hand and say, yeah, that's where I am today. Yeah, thanks. You can put your hand down. Good. See, God, he mo uses these moments to kind of bring us back to center. He uses these moments, church, to say, okay, am I going to live according to God's standard? And this morning, if he's challenging you, in any area, he's there to forgive when you ask him to. In just a moment, we're going to pray with those that raised your hands, but there's a second part. When you acknowledge these three, 
descriptions of love today. The idea of not rejoicing in evil. Let's take one at a time. How many this morning would say, this is an area that I need to grow in by just raising your hand saying, boy, I, I need to protect or I need to you know, cover up or I need to uh, be rejoicing in truth and not be sharing the evil or not allowing the evil to, to be uh, evident in my life. How many would uh, acknowledge that this morning? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And then the second was that love delights in the truth, which is really the, the, uh, the other side of the rejoicing, does not rejoice in the evil. And then the third is love covers sin. It protects and maybe this morning the Lord is just challenging you in your own walk, in your own relationship with Him to cover the sins of others, to protect others. And you're acknowledging this morning that biblical love is just absolutely amazing. And we recognize that it's not for the, the weak at heart, but it's, it's for those that are fully committed, not for those that are half-hearted. This morning, God wants to help us. I want you to stand right where you are. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're, the altars will be open. We'll dismiss. And I just want to encourage you, if the Lord is just stirring in your heart in regards to love, don't hustle off. Don't, don't just run off. But sit with it and ask the Lord, God, what are you doing in my heart today? But let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, first of all, for those that raised their hand early on saying, man, there's areas that I need forgiveness, that I need to accept you. Lord, I pray that you just meet those. I believe they're all ladies today, three or four of them. God, I pray that you just surround them with your love. Let them know that they are forgiven. And Lord, that you take their sin as far as the east is from the west, and you don't hold it against them. You'll never bring it up again. God, you forget it. You, you cover it with righteousness. And God, I pray that you would just be glorified and that you would help in all these circumstances. And God, I pray also, Lord, as we look at these, these ideas that love does not rejoice in evil, God, I pray, Lord, that we would be people that would shun evil, yes, but we'd, we would not sit in it. We would not rejoice or delight in it. Instead, that we would be delighting in only what's true, only in what's good. For your word says that love protects, it covers sin. And God, I pray that you would help us. Help us, God, to put a blanket on those areas of embarrassment. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to throw each other under the bus, but we can walk with each other in forgiveness. Lord, we thank you. Lord, seal these moments in our heart. And God, go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.